Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work. Well, hello, everyone. My name is James Deal, the host of Practical AI, the capacity for good. Have you ever asked yourself, why are we losing customers? If you've been in business for any length of time, you probably have. Did you know that it's six to seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain an existing customer? And that a 5% increase in customer retention can increase company revenue by 25 to 95%. Also, retained customers buy more often and spend more than newer customers. And satisfied, loyal customers are more likely to sing a company's praises and refer their friends and family. So there's no denying retention is key to growth. And if you're going to grow, you must have a customer retention strategy that keeps customers happy, appreciated, valued, and engaged. So I am really excited today to be joined by David Averin, the best-selling author of the book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back, which also happens to be a Forbes Top 10 book in 2019. David is also a customer experience keynote speaker and consultant with over two decades of working with entrepreneurs, CEOs, sales and leadership teams, and their organizations. David delivers insightful hard-hitting content to various business audiences across North America and around the globe. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So love to start by just having you tell a little bit about yourself. And I'd love to know right now, like what's getting you out of bed in the morning lately? You know, what's getting me out of bed, I think for a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, and others is paying the mortgage. And I say that somewhat facetiously, but the reality is this is how we pay the bills. Work is work. It's certainly in vogue now to talk about, you know, follow your passion and make it, you know what, make a living, support your family, and you afford yourself the opportunity to do some things that you're passionate about. I'm, I'm not diminishing the importance of passion. What gets me out of bed is I have uh, five colleges I'm paying for right now, including my wife who just got her master's. But now, listen, I love what I do. I love being a messenger. You would ask a little bit about my background. I spent a lot of years in marketing and branding, helping organizations craft the words that they use to really better differentiate themselves from, from competitors. And I came to the realization, as many have over the last probably six, seven years, the, the primary drivers for how we do business and who we do business with has changed. It's changed significantly. In a time when, you know, I think in yesteryear, there was such a discrepancy in terms of, of quality. You know, some were good, some weren't. Everybody's good today because social proof has ensured that everybody's good, or at least good enough, right? Because we've got Yelp and TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor. And if you weren't good at what you do, you'd get called out pretty quickly and the marketplace would figure it out. So the problem is in this time of pervasive quality, the words generally are fairly similar. People talk about their quality and commitment and caring and trust in people. And they think that's their competitive advantage. And the reality and the, and the research today shows that the primary drivers aren't quality. I mean, quality is assumed. You better be good at what you do. The primary drivers today are speed and convenience and flexibility and accommodation. And so I started making a significant shift in my content about six, seven years ago. 
And I went from a focus of marketing as a primary driver to customer experience as a primary driver. And to clarify, I don't talk about customer service. I mean, I think we know how to be nice to people, but what is the experience that those who do business with us, what do they experience? Is it frustrating? Is it, does it feel like it's it expedited? Is it simple? Is it complicated? Is it maddening? And so part of my job, and, and I love what I do, is I get to travel around the world. I, I just got back from 11 days in Dubai. I leave in two weeks for Barcelona and London. And I work with audiences and organizations to help them become ridiculously easy to do business with. And I, my contention is that is a primary driver today. In a marketplace where everybody's good, who has a simpler process? Who can get me what I want faster? And, and of course, post-COVID, we have this whole new generation of accommodations and conveniences and everything is delivered. And how do we, no matter who your audience is and who you're dealing with, how do we orchestrate and refine our processes to help our people get what they want, our customers, our clients, our prospects, help them get what they want quickly. Wow, really good. And I think what you were saying about customer experiences is super timely. I actually, just before we started this recording here, I don't know if you saw that in the news, but Southwest Airlines just stopped all departures across the country again. So really, again, for, you know, they had all of that craziness in December. Talk about a customer experience nightmare and struggle. Like if you're the CEO of Southwest Airlines right now, what are the first things that are coming to your mind? Because you have to be thinking customer experience like that. Besides whatever the technological glitch is that they're dealing with, you got to be thinking, how do we take care of our customers? You know, what's crazy is for too often, the first thought that comes into their minds is, how do we spin this? What's the words that we get out? You know, and the reality is first and foremost, fix the problem. I saw an interesting study came out recently. I think it was Shep Hyken's study about his Amaze Every Customer about that. He found that 63% prefer, this is really, really interesting, prefer a convenient experience over a friendly experience. And that's one of the things you think about and kind of unpack for a second. It's not that we don't value a friendly experience, but not friendly in lieu of efficiency. You know, don't worry about the words to mask your incompetence or the frustration that we're feeling. Convenience comes first. You know, I mean, I like people that are friendly. I mean, that's really nice, but I really hate when when I'm inconvenienced. I really hate when my time is not respected. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a great airline. And they have, they're suffering from a lack of technological investment over the years. And it's hard to recover from this because you know that there was a study, I don't know, 40 years ago that said that it asserted that there's a mistaken belief that everybody's looking to make the best decision in purchasing and hiring and contracting. And the reality is most people are looking to avoid making a bad decision. Right. We want to make the best decision. It's not that that's not important. It's just we don't know what it is because we assume everybody's good and everybody's competent. So revert to what's the safe decision? Who's less likely to screw this up? And so you look at the example you just gave me about Southwest. Now you're online and you're booking, right? What's a safe choice? Southwest is less safe. A few months ago, there was a press release came out from Frontier Airlines, which used to be a great airline. It's horrible now. And they announced that they would no longer offer voice customer service support at all. Like you can't even pay for it. Gee, what could possibly go wrong? And what we got was their statement, which was, we found that people prefer digital options. And the nonsense of that is there is a population, right? It, it's the people that you serve, right? It, the people who do 
understand and appreciate. But we're not all dealing with one population. There is a generation, right, which is the whole challenge right now with AI and chatbots as well, is there's going to be a transition period. There is a generation that will never be comfortable with that, and we need options for them as well. And so Frontier, if you were less technologically adept and you're in your 60s or beyond, Frontier is not a safe choice because if something goes wrong, and it happens all the time in travel, of course, weather and mechanical and technological issues, it's not a safe choice. You don't even want to buy that ticket. Southwest is in that category. I did a blog a few months ago about this Frontier decision. And the theme of the blog was that Frontier doesn't know what business they're in. And I don't think there's stupid people on the other end. They think they're selling seats. And I would assert they're selling outcomes. They're selling what's at the other end of that flight. They're selling that reunion, that important business meeting, that important trip and connection. And if you have a doubt as to whether or not you can make it, and if something goes wrong, there is no outlet, then you've got a big problem. For sure. So as you're going around, you mentioned a couple of places, you just got back from Dubai and you're headed back over to Europe here soon. What's the number one question that you're hearing from executives related to customer experience? The thing they're asking you for help on or they're struggling with right now? The biggest challenge, and then we and I'm happy to divert this into sort of our main subject to talk about AI and chatbots and others. Well, the main subject is they're really struggling. Everybody's struggling with a whole new generation of customer client expectations, demands, the things that they're used to that business owners, entrepreneurs, and others are finding frustrating, daunting to suddenly be able to do. Everybody's like, we're not Amazon. We can't do. And I say, okay. And right. The reality is we've changed all of us. Everybody listening right now, we're all customers of somebody else. We're all somebody else's clients. We all access healthcare and grocery stores and restaurants. And our expectations have changed for speed and access and flexibility. And companies still rest on what they think is their differentiator, which is their superior quality, right? I um, I was keynoting a conference and the CEO, the CEO had gone on right before me and was doing sort of a state of the company, like a January conference. They were kicking off the year. And I was right afterwards doing my keynote on how to become ridiculously easy to do business with. And he does the rah-rah speech and gets everybody pumped up. It was a good speech. But at the very end, he said, and remember, at the end of the day, it's about quality. We will win on quality. And I thought to myself, oh, I could not disagree more. And here, the reality is quality is incredibly important. But he says, at the end of the day, it's about quality. No, at the beginning of the day is about quality. Quality is the entry fee. You better be damn good at this if you're going to get found out pretty quickly. But at the end of the day, it's about competitive advantage. It's not what do we do well? What do we do better than others who do it well? And so back to your question, the biggest challenge, and this is what I get everywhere in the world, is everybody wants it today. Everybody wants to be able to reach a real person right away. They want to be able to ask their questions. They want to find out exactly, they want insight into the process. They want visibility. What's the status? Is Has it shipped yet? Has it, right? And I saw another study that says that we are, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we are expected to deploy technology that allows our customers and clients to do business anywhere, not from home, from anywhere, in our car, from the top of a mountain, on a cruise ship. And so for those who have not yet explored and adopted and deployed those technologies, it's accelerating and they're getting left farther and farther behind. 
because omni-channel is the rule of the day. No matter how somebody wants to do business with you, you have to give them that option. I'm surprised at how many organizations, you go to their website, there's no phone number. There's only a contact form because somebody sold them the nonsense that we're going to have it all go to one place. We'll capture their information. It's all going to go to Judy. She'll respond. And 86% of people will never fill out a contact form. Now, I'm not anti-contact forms. I have multiple businesses and they all have contact forms and they have cell phone numbers and they have WhatsApp. And if I could have a cranial implant, I would have it right here because this feeds my family. And so the other thing is you try to pay somebody and no, we don't accept, my God, they're trying to give you money, except every PayPal, Enmo, Zelle, credit cards, checks, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that's omni-channel today. And no matter the age or the demographic, people want to do business differently. And back to that question, customers are changing and companies are scrambling with how do we deploy all of these venues and methodologies so they can communicate with us, buy from us, ask us. And it's daunting, but it's important. Right. So customers are changing. Omnichannel is here. If you're not embracing it, shame on you. Their expectations are high. Convenience is significant, as you just mentioned. So when we talk about what your book, the title of your book, Why Customers Leave, I'm assuming it's say it's because of some of those things are not being met in that customer experience. And if that's the case, then how can companies, if you start to think about, okay, what do we do to keep up with the times? What do we do to create that convenience? Where do you see AI potentially playing into that or automation playing into that? I mean, it's a balance, right? You've got the phone calls that you have to be on, and it could be AI on the other end of that phone call. It still has to be voice because that's the channel that's comfortable, but it could be a person. It could be AI. How well you do it is really about the experience. So love to hear kind of- But it's also, it's about working with great organizations who understand how to do this right. Some of the early adopters really looked at this wrong, and I'm not anti-AI. I mean, I think it has an important role, but AI is not- you don't employ that or chatbots so you don't have to talk to your customers. That's not the right reason. You do it so you can talk to the right customers and the ones who need it, right? It's not to offload everything onto AI. It's to offload the routine or mundane or pedestrian or ultra common kinds of things so that your people can be redirected and available for those who have uncommon and more complex situation, it's the perfect balance. It's the convenience you talked about, right? Well, yeah, but it's the options. I mean, I think that's even the more important part. It's the offering, right? It's when, and I do little bits on stage where I talk about holding, or I'm like holding a phone going, real person, real person, real person. I think you said, no, no, right, right, real person, right? That's funny. That's eye rolling. Why? Because it's pervasive. Because there are companies who don't yet get it, or some of the early iterations of AI was nothing more than a backlit FAQ. But real AI is you emphasize the I part, which is the intelligence. And where it is today compared to five years ago is a hundredfold better because it has gotten more intelligent, has a better idea. The balance is the off ramp, it's that easy off ramp to a real person whether it's real person over regular chat, traditional chat, or voice, 
there is a whole generation of people who are very comfortable with the electronic and the digital things. They can get it very, very quickly. My wife is much better at it than I am. I'd rather talk to a real person. The frustration comes in is when it's very difficult to the 19 layers you have to get to a real person and you ask for a real person, they say, well, give me more clarification, what real person, right? And you do it over and over again. And the challenge for organizations is they think they've created this balance and they're frustrating a significant portion of their customers. And as you talked about in your introduction, the acquisition cost compared to the retention cost is monumental. It's not about the tool, it's how the tool is used. And good companies like yours are ones that can help and walk hand in hand and side by side to help them set up and really tailor that experience, that online experience. The other way I think it's done wrong and done poorly and it drives customers away is there are unrealistic scenarios that are accounted for in the chat scenarios. It's the ones that the companies want people to ask and the ones that direct them as opposed to the ones that Things that we are looking for. I'll tell you, honestly, I don't think I have ever in my life had a question that was frequently asked. I mean, I go to the FAQ and my question is, I don't think my question has ever been in what they believe are their frequently asked questions. And I think that part has to be better. I think it's important that they adopt, especially if you are challenged or limited in terms of your staffing, right? Ideally, there's enough people to catch every call within five minutes and have extended conversations. That's not realistic. Right. I don't expect that I can get my hair cut at four o'clock in the morning, but I expect that I can make an appointment to do so. Right. I don't expect that every company is open 24 hours to be able to ask all the questions. The staffing levels have to be adjusted for different times. So that's why I think this kind of, I think the future of AI and the future of chatbots, I think is really strong and really important. Provide there's an off ramp to a real person, provided the AI gets smarter, provided the setup is much more comprehensive and realistic. I don't think most companies are equipped to do that. I think they need to work with companies like yours to be able to walk them through the process to deploy it effectively, not just because it's functional, but because it's effective, right? And I think that part is, yeah. And I think certain companies are getting better. The bigger companies are getting better. Once again, provided there's an an off-ramp. And there will be a time of transition. You can equate it to what's happening with electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are not going to take over in the next 10 years. Why? Because there's a generation of gas vehicles that still have to go through their lifespan. And that's going to take 20, 30, 40 years, right? I think the time frame is shorter with this, but there's a generation of people in their maybe 60s and 70s and above who will never be comfortable with this. We have to account for that right? There is a balance, a cost balance and everything else. But I think James will come to a time in the next 20 years where this will be so commonplace that if you aren't adept, even as a consumer, you're going to be left behind. You got to be able to walk into a McDonald's and know how to use the touch screen 10 years from now, or you're going to go hungry, right? So we're in that transition time. And I think companies have to recognize that there's a learning curve, but don't be behind the curve or you're going to be scrambling to recapture market share. Yeah, there's a balance between being on the bleeding edge of things and being within the curve and not behind the curve. Because especially on this, there's nothing worse than a bad experience like you've described. You know, No, I need to talk to a person. This is not working. But when it goes well, it gets to it right away, quickly and effectively. That's a great experience. 
Yeah. It's something you probably don't want to hear, but I, one of the things I advise audiences and in my presentations, they're very humorous and I very entertaining, but I use that strategically to temper a pretty tough message about what it takes to compete. But I tell them, I say, when you're screaming, you can't get a real person. AI doesn't understand. I think you said this, or please clarify whatever else. I said, just start throwing F-bombs and they'll recognize that somebody's angry and you'll get redirected to a real person. And it's true and it works, but it shouldn't have to. That shouldn't have to be where we go. But my job is to provide tools from, for organizations and my audiences. And there's a last ditch tool. If you cannot get it to recognize, if you cannot get what you want and your time is valuable, just shout F-bombs and you'll get to talk to a real person. And that's unfortunate that it has to be that. There you go, David's tip of the week. There, there you go. <laughs> there's your takeaway from the podcast. People are writing this down frantically right now. Go ahead. According to a recent survey, 66% of customers expect a response from customer service in five minutes or less. So in what ways do you think businesses could leverage AI to create like an extraordinary responsive culture? I think that's an important piece is, is responsiveness. Oh, I think it's really important. I'm not sure where you got this statistic. I don't agree with it at all. I think we prefer one, but I don't think anybody expects it. I think for a positive relationship, that's what we would expect to secure our loyalty, to secure our business. The problem is, which is why I think people don't fill out contact forms. It doesn't mean that some people don't. I have business leaders who tell me all the time, people fill out my form. And I'm like, you have no idea who didn't. The greatest source of lost revenue in any business is the customer you didn't know about, right? They drove, they didn't stop, or they called, they hung up because they didn't want to deal with your voicemail, or they went to your website and they clicked away. And so I think we prefer it. Um, there was a Harvard business study that came out and it said there's a hundred times better chance of winning the business if you respond within five minutes. Not 100%, 100 times better chance with a five-minute response or less. Now, unrealistic for some, but what it speaks to is once we find a solution, once we find a partner or provider, we stop looking. And so absolutely gives you that imperative to respond quickly. I think AI can be a phenomenal way as long as the verbiage is something that's effective, which is keep people in the loop, acknowledge the receipt of the inquiry, give a realistic time frame, not just we so value. It's like when you call and you say, you know, please listen closely as our menu options have changed. You know, you're on hold for 45 minutes. Know that we really value your it's not that. It's a response that says, we want to acknowledge that we received your message. We will respond within X number of time, but not the nonsense excuses. I see customer service training and, and the verbiage of, we're experiencing an unexpectedly high volume of garbage. It's a lie. I was on a call the other day. They told me that. And then they picked up within 30 seconds. You know exactly when your high volume is. We're experiencing unexpectedly. I can say we're experiencing a high volume of calls, but it's not unexpected. So I love the idea of a, if you cannot in-person respond, have technology respond. That's great. But use it to acknowledge and then clarify expectations. What's the time frame? Here's what's going to happen next. You will get a response from somebody. Otherwise, the challenge is we move on quickly. Right. I'll give you an example. I was in our house. We were new empty nesters. We moved recently, but we had a house out in the suburbs and it was springtime. And I turned my sprinklers on for the first time, got them all set up for this. And like four sprinkler heads were shooting straight up in the air because they had gotten broken over the winter. I kept saying, I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to fix it. So I went on Craigslist and I got a list of like 20 sprinkler repair that were within five miles of me or something else. I called the first one on the list 
but I got voicemail. I'm out working in the field. I'll call you when I get back in the office. Here's my question, James. Did I leave a message? Yes or no? No, I just called the next one. And the next one, that's the danger. And going back to your assertion about that five minutes, we'll move on quickly unless we have a confidence that we're going to have our call addressed. It's not unreasonable that somebody doesn't answer their phone right away, but it's unreasonable that they don't get a response quickly, right? Everybody's busy, but if you get a response within a minute saying, we got your message, it's been passed along, expect response within whatever your organization, right? Within an hour, within two hours, then we know, right? It's when you call somebody and they say, you know, we're experiencing a high volume calls, your expected wait time is nine minutes. Now, there's a real difference. If you were on hold and you had no idea how long, every minute that goes by, your call is very important. You're getting more and more frustrated. By the time you get to nine minutes, you're furious. But if they had said your expected wait time is nine minutes, I'm cool with that. I can go hit the restroom. I can go grab a snack. I don't have to worry about holding my phone to my ear. I can just put it on speakerphone, right? It's all part of the whole process. I think AI can be great in automating responses as long as they clarify an expectation that's reasonable. Well, and I think you see some of that. I think I've had some experiences myself where you call and they say, unfortunately, we're busy right now, but we can give you a phone call back in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 15 minutes. Great. Yep. You press one to, to receive a call back in 15 minutes. As opposed to, please leave a message and we'll get back to you when we can. When can you? You know what? I'm not comfortable with that. Now, years ago, I might be because there was no alternative. The reality today, the competitors are plentiful. It's oftentimes who responds quicker. That's the Harvard Business Study. A hundred times better chance of getting the business if you respond within five minutes. It's that whole adage when you know, you're looking for your car keys and they say, of course, it was the last place I looked. Well, of course it was. You stop looking once you find it. It's the same thing in business. If you respond quicker, you have a better chance of securing the business. I talk about this with my colleagues in my industry. I've been very fortunate to be asked to speak to other professional speaker organizations around the world. I think I've done nine of them. And I tell them, I said, when you put a contact form and no phone number, because I know you're traveling, you're on planes, you don't understand you're losing significant business because I put my cell phone number on everything. And they're like, well, can't search. Well, anybody can find anything today. During COVID, I did 87 presentations on a webcam in my basement studio because this feeds my family. But I did seven of those between 2 and 4 a.m. for clients in Johannesburg and Singapore and Mumbai and Manila and Abu Dhabi because it feeds my family. And people are like, well, don't you get life balance? Of course I have life balance. It's not happening every day. But I am ridiculously easy to do business with, right? If my, And I have a lot of clients overseas. If they want to have a conversation, I'm the one doing it at 1 a.m. and not them. And so it, it's the same thing with in terms of your online availability. I mean, it's just make it easy to reach you. Make it easy to complain. That's another big, you know, when communication is delayed, problems escalate quickly. It's the other thing we see with organizations. If you have something, you can fill out their form, but you don't know who's going to get it. You don't know when they're going to respond. And then your fury grows. People go from like zero to livid in eight seconds, right? Make it easy to reach you. Make it easy to complain. This one's super, super important. If somebody has something they're displeased, they're frustrated about, help them address that quickly because those who don't feel like they're being addressed, they go online, right? And then they trash you and that stays there forever. 
And so we're seeing companies getting better and better at this all the time, but which is why, and it's one of the things I put in my book, why customers leave is that organizations over survey, right? You do something, you buy something and they, they give you a survey and you ignore it. And then they, you must've forgotten our survey. And then by the fourth time you're furious, like stop sending people crap liked you before but now but i liked you before but now i don't because well you know why they're doing it they're doing it because they want to identify did something go wrong so we can intervene and address it quickly i was just traveling i was in florida last week and i and dropped off my rental car at enterprise and they say the same thing that they always say which is welcome back mr Averin. how was the camry whatever else do you have a chance to fill it up no go ahead and then they say the same thing is there anything we could have done to have made this a more outstanding experience. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, please, God, don't go on TripAdvisor and trash us for something I can fix now, right? Whole idea of being easy to do business with. Anyway, I, I went off on a tangent, but go ahead. No problem. I was going to actually reference your book there and ask. So it sounds like based on some of the things we've been talking about here, responsiveness, availability, is that one of the reasons why customers leave? Unresponsiveness, not being available. I mean, I think the broad answer is they leave because they can because there's so many other choices. Anything that we do that frustrates them, and the whole book about isn't just a rant about here's all the things, pardon my language, that piss us off. It's about here's the legitimate business decisions that businesses are making with unintended consequences or unanticipated consequences. So at the end of every chapter, I talk about a particular behavior within an organization that makes sense, certainly makes sense to the bean counters. It certainly makes sense from an operational perspective. But at the end of every chapter, I talk about, I have three little sections. I said, okay, here's why you do it. Kind of let them off the hook. But here's why we hate it as customers or clients. And here's a better approach or here's an alternate approach. And it's things, like I said, like over-serving. Like it's making us do their job. You go to a doctor's office today and they hand you this little tablet that some vendor sold them with all this technology that you were not trained on and you have to enter all the information so their receptionist doesn't have to do it i see let's transfer the work to the guy who's bleeding from his head let's make him do the work give me a break and so it's a bit of a rant and you know and i use humor when i can but there's a lot of things that organizations do that make sense right? There's a lot of, you know, it's very, very in vogue to say that your employees are more important than your customers. And, and I get where that's coming from. You know, we absolutely have to treat our team well, but our employees don't pay the bills. Our employees are the bills, right? And it's not, I mean, don't mishear me that it's unimportant, but there's such a focus on our team and all, it's, all of that's important, but our team is there for one reason, and that's to serve our customers. And when we do that well, we can do it with a great work environment. We can do it with a wonderful culture. We can do it with, with humor in the office and celebrating success. But at the end of the day, our customers have to be happy. And so when we're adopting policies that make life great for our team, but makes it more difficult for our customers, I think we have to rethink that. Different reasons why customers get frustrated. And it's diagnostic, but it's also prescriptive. Here's ways that we can do it better. So if we're thinking about, I think I really liked what you had to say there about the balance between employees and customers, and it's really critical that we take care of our employees. And I do believe that well-taken care of employees take good care of customers. But then to your point, there's that balance of it not the expense of our customers, right? But it's also not, real quickly, Just I don't think it's a cause and effect. And Richard Branson, who's clearly been more successful than I am, loves espousing this whole idea of saying it's very simple. If you treat your employees well, they will treat your customers well. I think that's nonsense. 
I think we treat our employees well because it's important that we treat them well. I think it's important that we give them respect and make them feel appreciated and give them a career path. But they treat our customers well because they understand how we serve them best. They understand and how we make money as an organization, how we feed our families. They treat them well because they've been trained that here's our core customer. Here's what they what they like, what they dislike, what they prefer. Here's the lifetime value of a customer. I don't think it's simple. I think it's complicated. I think that's why consultants and support companies and everybody works together to create great customer experiences. But I think it's critical that we treat our team right, not because we assume that they'll go on and treat our customers well. We do it because it's the right thing to do. It's about being a good organization. It's for retention and attraction. But serving our customers requires a lot of strategic thinking and conversation and training of our people. So if we're working, trying to have a very responsive customer experience culture, what are some of the things you think are critical to have in employees or to foster in employees to make sure that we have that responsive customer culture? And where does AI potentially fit into helping break a bottlenecks or improve processes? How do you see some of that working together? I think it's twofold. I think first it's a mindset and that's a conversation Here's who we are. Here's what we believe. Here's how we as a company, as a staff, as a team, as a culture, this is what we believe. And this is how our behavior needs to manifest in that, right? And then it becomes this catalyst for conformity, right? For somebody who falls short, they're the ones that stand out because that's not who we are, right? Disney's probably the best example, right? Everybody's up here. And if you don't, you stand out pretty well. The second half is the structure. The process, the technology to facilitate and ensure that there is a consistent adherence to here's how we do what we do. Everybody gets responded to within this time frame. I was in the back. I was working with a client at a restaurant. There was notes all over the back in the kitchen that says, here's what our plates look like. Every food never sits for longer than three minutes. Whoever's closest to the plate grabs it, right? They have policies and procedures that ensure that it's not just lip service. It's not just for us, it's all about the customer and our customers come first. Well, what does that look like? I hear organizations say all the time, we don't want to be a vendor. We want to be a partner. Well, that's lip service. What does a partner do? What are the behaviors of a partner? And how do you ensure that behavior is consistently applied and demonstrated? So it requires policies and procedures, not just here's what we believe, but here's how we do it. Here's what we do. Here's how we respond to everything. Here's what we do when there's a referral. They get a response. They get a this. They get whatever. And it happens every single time. And it's not just Joanne that does that because if Joanne's sick, somebody else needs to know how to do it. So it's ingrained in our policies and procedures. And then the other part of that is the technology. And AI is a phenomenal tool, and it's significantly better even than, than five years ago. I think we've made it very clear that it is not just a nice get to have, it's an important element to ensure that there is consistency. And as we talked before, it, it's, and I don't like the word mundane, I think it's for the predictable, replicable kinds of tasks, but even those can be very human centric right? It's a response. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, here's how to track the progress of your project, of your product, right? I mean, I, I think if you were looking mundane, that's sending billing statements. That's mundane. The rest of it is really human centric, but it can be automated. 
once again, it's not automation to so that you don't have to deal with your customers. It's so that you have the time and resources available to deal personally with the ones who need a more personalized service. So the short answer, and I know it's too late for that, is as part of that that systems and process portion of that, AI is growing in its importance. It's growing in its capability. And for those who have frequent overwhelming amount of customer contact. It's crucial. I was going to say it's going to be crucial. I think it's crucial today, but it's crucial to do it right. So I'm going to ask you more of a future looking, futuristic question here. So when we think about AI, there's probably two ways in which it applies in an organization. You have where it it makes the work better or easier or more efficient for the the employees. And it there's the engagement with the customer side of it, where they're the customers engaging with the automation or the AI. Um, as you think about those two pieces and you think about the future, where how do you see this really the, the AI impacting the future of customer experience? Well, I think it goes back to what I said before that regardless of your position within an organization, we are all customers, all of us from the highest level seat. I saw a picture the other day of Princess Catherine or Kate or whatever um, coming out of a grocery store, right? You know, we're all customers. And so our expectations and our comfort level will grow. I think the future of it is that it's going to become much more integrated into our daily life. The ease of shopping, the ease of signing in, logging in, facial recognition. I don't think we're going to see it as a separate element. I think it's just going to be kind of how we do what we do. You know, when we're at the train station, we're at the airport, we're at the at the restaurants, I think it will be so integrated that it'll just be seen as how we do what we do. I think you're right. The internal and the external are different. I think it will, on the internal side, I think it's going to be much more active in terms of keeping us from having things fall through the cracks. I think it'll help us in terms of content generation, but I think that human element of oversight and review is going to be important, but I think it's going to be more seen more as another staffer, another employee, another you know, this aspect of what we do, but think how comfortable we've gotten with, you know, automated billing or the things that come out of banks and all that. It's just what we expect to receive. I think it's just going to be more pervasive in other parts of our life in terms of prognosticating and putting on my futurist hat. I'm not good at that. There are people that are living just doing that, but I think there's a natural curve that says this will become more integrated and it will be seen less as a separate element and just part of what we do. When we're interacting and interfacing with a particular organization, it's just like, you know, clicking on a certain pair of pants. It's we know that a person wasn't there selecting it for us. It's just a part of what we do. Yeah, I agree with you. So as we wrap this up here, and I really appreciate you taking some time to chat today. This has been really, really insightful and, and hopefully people find it informative and helpful as they think about their customers, how to retain customers and improve their responsiveness culture. And that's one of the final questions I'd love to to ask you here is as we wrap this up, is there any recommendations or specific advice that you would give to companies who are trying to improve their customer responsiveness culture. I know we've talked a lot about, if you were to summarize kind of here, any, any specific words of advice? You mean internally? Internally, yeah. Within mm-hmm. a, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think two things, and this is one that I think is a little foreign, but some organizations are getting this. I think we have to pull back the curtain. I think we have to help our people understand how we make money. I think they need to understand 
money is not a dirty word. It, it feeds families. They need to know what is the lifetime value of one of our customers. I just spoke for a huge dental organization and for a general practice, it's six figures. I mean, the lifetime value of a patient and their family and those who have multiple kids, it's over $100,000. So that one minor piece of accommodation, maybe it's being, you know, work until nine, one day a week so that those single parents have an opportunity to get dental care for their kids. I think we pull back the curtain and we make very visible to our employees, here's who we serve, here's how we make money, here's how we make a profit, here's what happens if we don't make a profit, and here's your crucial role in making that happen. If you want job security, help your company be successful, serve your clients better than your competitors do. And the challenge a lot of organizations were so segmented and so siloed that people are very well trained in their job, but they don't understand the role of their cog in the overall machine. And so I think it's, besides, of course, modeling that great culture, I think if we help them understand, here's the ramifications of underperformance. This is the life cycle of a customer of ours. This is what they pay. Here's where it goes. Then we really understand why we do what we do. And for those who may feel a little isolated in their cubicle, I think it's important that they understand their place in this overall family, culture, machine that that supports not only our internal team, but our external customers. Excellent insight there. And that the idea of kind of pulling back the curtain and seeing a little bit deeper and understanding the financial, the economics of the business a lot of businesses don't do that. And I think that transparency, to your point, could make a huge difference. So great insight. Appreciate you sharing that. So one last question as we wrap up. This one's a real softball. This is kind of what I like to ask as we wrap up this conversation around customer experience and AI. But specifically, as you think about experiences, I think memories are created based off of experiences. And the things that you have, material stuff, comes and goes, right? But you create memories off of experiences and memories stay. You have good experiences, you can have bad experiences. The idea, I think I love to create great experiences for my family. So what if you could create an experience right now, a life experience for yourself or your family, maybe disregard the cost of it, what would that experience look like? What's something you would love to create that would some memories for people that you love or know? It's interesting that you say this because I kind of had that conversation with myself and my wife many, many years ago. And that I wanted to, I remember when my father was ill, I had thought about, because I'm the second oldest of six, that I could remember on one hand, probably two fingers, the time that me and my dad got to do something, just the two of us, just special, just with us. And I thought that was kind of sad that I'd gone through and I was very close to my father. That I could only think of a couple of times. So I decided before my kids were even born that I was going to do that. So when my kids got old enough, seven, eight years old, and because I travel extensively, because I speak and I consult, every one of my kids got to look at the calendar every year and pick a special daddy trip. And so they got to do a trip. Maybe it was New York or whatever else, but I would speak for an hour and then we would get three days of uninterrupted daddy time without their stupid brothers and sisters, right? They didn't have to share anything. You know, we'd order room service and we'd have a popcorn fight in the room and we'd go do cool things at the beach or go see the Smithsonian. And so now we're new empty nesters and my kids go from 20 to 29 and each of them have a half dozen memories or more 
of an individual trip that they just got to do with their dad. Maybe I, one came up on my time hop app the other day of my daughter and I went and saw Broadway shows when she was 11 and she's very excited. She got to dress up and everything else. And so for me, it's, it's sort of presence over presence, right? So I think experiences and they don't remember their stuff, you know, between the time you were born and the time you left home at maybe 18, between the December holidays and your birthday, you probably got four or 500 presents, you know, in 18 years and all those. I'll bet you can't remember five out of 400. You might remember the bike, you might remember the train or uh -huh. the remote control car that the first one. I, yeah. yeah. My <laughs> sister remembered her easy bake oven, but think about the time when you and your mom or your dad got to do something special. Maybe it was with my mom and I, she called me her cookie baker and we would always make chocolate chip cookies. I know it sounds somewhat traditional, but my dad and I would go camping. And so now let's equate that to business real quick. And I know we have to wrap up. Doesn't mean that everything that you do with your customers or clients is a wow experience. It isn't. We're not all Apple or right. Sometimes you're selling an electronic part to an electronic component that goes into a bigger electronic something. That wow moment can be a response faster than they expected. It can be more information. It can be a more comprehensive set of instructions. It can be easier tracking information on the app, right? That's the part that you remember, right? That how easy that process was, how responsive. Friendly is great. I'm not anti-friendly, but not friendly in lieu of effectiveness or convenience. And so anyway, I like that question. I'm all about creating experiences and, my, and the fact that my kids in their 20s still want to do dad trips is heartening for me. That's awesome. It's the extraordinary, right? It's it's the thing that takes them out of the ordinary. And that whether that's a little thing or a big thing, it's that extraordinary that makes it really extraordinary. So, hey, David, Everin, thanks so much for joining me today. Enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. And if people want to learn more about me. Yes, please. Yeah. Where can they find that? It's David Averin everywhere on YouTube and everything else, but just go to my website at davidaverin.com. Great. Well, David, again, thanks and cheers. Practical AI, the capacity for good is brought to you by Capacity, an automated help desk, knowledge base and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to capacity.com and get started for free. On behalf of the whole team, thanks for listening.